When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hockey at the Rock. And here we are in a mood similar that, to the one we found ourselves in after, uh, you know, the first two games of the previous round series and also known as two episodes ago. And in this case, we experienced something as Devils fans that we haven't experienced in a very long time. And John, how did it feel to watch the first series win since 2012, especially since it also came against the New York Rangers. It felt fantastic, Dan. It was wonderful. It was the highest of highs that a hockey fan could possibly feel outside of the championship to defeat your hated rivals, to come back from two games down. And as we learned today on this day, May the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2023, Gerard Gallant got fired. Because mm-hmm. apparently management lost their minds with him at the after game four, yep. which was, of course, the last time he had an episode. So yeah. this all dovetails very nicely. The glory of defeating our hated rivals. It wasn't easy. I was nervous as hell for game seven. Mm-hmm. But I got to personally witness not just one, but two four nothing victories to close out the series for the Devils. That's fantastic. And I want to talk about that before we talk about the reality, the agony, the pain the New Jersey Devils are currently in. Well, yeah. So as you mentioned, they basically flipped the script at home from those first two games against the Rangers, where they lost 5-1 in each game, which we'll get to more on that later. But they did, again, flip the script entirely and played what is essentially two pretty perfect games, or at least they looked perfect. I mean... Uh, by no means did the Devils not give up any opportunities like uh, what has happened to them over the last couple of days. But uh, Akira Schmidt certainly looked comfortable in the net and made it look easier than I'm sure it was. Uh, He completely shut down the Rangers in games five and seven, and the Devils just looked to be in a completely different level speed-wise than them. Yeah, the big thing about our hated rivals in the first two games is that they played a very conservative, passive 1-2-2-4 check. Now... Devil fans, the people who matter, should really know what that it means because, well, the Devils won their first Stanley Cup by intru- reintroducing the 1-2-2, a.k.a. the neutral zone trap, through Jacques Lemaire. Systemic hockey is how the Devils got to their first of three glories. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind later on in the episode. Anyway, the big turning point in the series was obviously the overtime winner in game three game four. You started to see more of the devils play quote unquote, their way of hockey, just rushing down our hated rivals and their defense did an excellent job keeping them to the outside. So game five was effectively more of the same, Um, you know, in all situations, you throw in all the power plays, all the extra man situations um, our hated rivals had, they generated a whopping 2.46 XG. They got nothing past Schmid, nothing, not da. Okay, to be fair, there was um, a clearance off. Actually, no, that was in game four. My mistake. There were a couple close calls, but Schmid's glove, 
was on point. And the Devils just kept rolling, rolling, rolling. It was actually, if it wasn't for Igor Shosturkin playing very well, because the Devils generated five expected goals. They scored four with an empty netter. They generated 22 high danger chances, Dan, to the mm-hmm. to our hated rivals. 10, you know, the Shosturkin pretty much denied the Devils a lot. And the Devils still cracked him for three goals. Uh, he had a series for the ages huge... overall. Yeah, he, it's it's a testament to how you can have a goaltender play out of his mind because usually rule of thumb, if your goaltender is hot, that's all you really need. You're at least in the game. Yep. But you see, Dan, there's a lot of quit in New York. They ain't no pride in New York. They pulled the rug on those pride jerseys, remember? And that was especially apparent as, you know, especially when Dawson Mercer finished that feed for the shorty sending myself and the rest of the rock into rapturous applause. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot more red in game five. And again, just like the team, a whole lot of quitting from uh, the uh, the visiting fans. Shout out to Artemi Panarin for showing up as stale bread uh, for that turnover that ultimately led to the uh, two-on-one shorthanded goal and also props to the not, not back-checking that he performed. It was glorious, Dan. It was wonderful, which unfortunately made game six sting a little bit more. Well, game six felt a lot like the first two games especially game two where it just they they manifested something towards the end of it after giving up a power play goal and again chris Kreider, uh it was chris Kreider's leg yeah this leg this time not intentional redirection but still he was hovering around the net front and that's not a place where you want to have chris Kreider be but not much you can do at a certain point so uh, that game felt, like I said, a lot like game number two specifically, where the devil started well, um, and then it just really went downhill quickly, and Igor Shosturkin kept it mostly downhill. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this was a game where Shosturkin pretty much stole the game for 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 him. For the Devils, I'm sorry, for his team, rather, stole it from the Devils. Yeah. I mean, you got to see a lot of the elements of rushing him down crashing the net and Chesterkin just held up and, and our hated rivals. They just, they just found ways to beat Schmied. And it, and it was a bit concerning one, because you know, when you're up three, two in the series, you don't want it to go to game seven. That's the, that's the one thing you don't want to turn into one game where just one bad night, a bunch of bad mistakes, um, one bad penalty call could be the end of your season. And cause usually in that case with the game seven, you know, better goalie wins in a, in a lot of situations because you always get asked that question. Who would you take in a one game? You know, I need to start this one goalie situation to win a series. Shesterkin mm-hmm. is the answer for a lot of people. And that's a scary thing to face down, knowing that that's what would be coming for you in a game seven. That's exactly what they had. And they stared it down. And Akira Shmeed said, well, me too. And they essentially just recreated game five. It was actually worse than that, Dan. Oh, it was actually worse than game five for our hated I mean, rivals. Oh, they buried or, them harder than in game five. Yes, agreed. Yeah. I mean, despite the fact that ultimately, you know, our hated rivals ended up with more shots and a couple more attempts. The XG doesn't lie here, Dan. XG in this game. Say what you want about the expected goals model, Dan. It was 4.92 by the Devils to the New York's 1.95. Yeah. It's a do or die game seven situation. And you can't even generate enough offense to get to two expected goals. They had five high danger chances all game long. Dan. They had what? Two shots in the third period. Well, that was the game five game. in game five and in they game five. They had two shots similar to that. Yeah. Uh, bear with me for a sec here as I quickly confirm because yeah, our hated rivals had eight shooting attempts in the third period. Mm-hmm. Eight. 
That's that's eight. That's less than nine. That's greater than seven. Wow. They had eleven in all situations. So when that when Nanette got pulled, uh, Shesterkin got pulled. Like there were there was a point in Game Five where Shesterkin, you know, did a drive by by his bench screaming, "Come on, get do your jobs!" And his teammates basically said, "Nah, you got this, bro." And the, yeah. you know, Adam Fox had an awful game. Chris Kreider had an awful game. Andre Palat sunned him for a shorty shortly after a four and four situation for the game's opening goal by Michael McLeod. Classic Mar- playoff Palat moment, by the way. And then John Marino turned into Bobby Orr for a shift. And awesome. Then, you know, drove in, didn't get the shot through Shesterkin, collects the rebound, flings a pass from behind the goal line to Tatar for the goal. Now it's two nothing. And then, you know, you're holding on, but you're still holding your breath because of two nothing, you know, one bad break and all of a sudden it's a game and you could finally relax when eric halla who surged throughout this series he was the team's leading playoff scorer dan eric halla he was hot legitimately hot set up by the big deal he hits the back post of the center of the net so hard i i lost it dan at that moment i knew that was the dagger oh yeah at that point it was over our hated the fans of our hated rivals they started leaving in droves at that point with a little over five minutes left, technically three nothing. It's not impossible, but it's pretty close to it. And nothing that New York did came even remotely close to getting back in the game. The entire arena stood for the remainder of the game. They we loved it when Jesper Bratt scored the empty netter because it was his first goal after a lot of good work. I think he's gotten a lot of unfair criticism to mm-hmm. a point. I understand he's a big scorer. You want him to score goals, but He's on a cold streak, just like Nico Heischer, just like Timo Meyer. It sucks, dude, but you got your goals from McLeod. You got him from Tatar. You got him from Hala again. You got the 4 nothing win. Schmid's glove was awesome. Steve Ellicott can go eat it. Ray Ferraro, I don't know if he's laughing anymore, Dan. I ain't yeah. laughing at him because um, he, he infamously laughed at towards the end of game, game six after the uh, fifth goal against. Uh, credit to Schmid. He bounced back in a huge way and shut out our hated rivals. He is now second all-time in Devils playoff shutouts with two. It tells you, you know, how, uh, how much the Devils, Devils goalie stats. They're so yeah. good always. <laughs> yeah, Bordeaux Bordeaux is safely at number one with 24. Uh, well, hey, I, I, it's not ever going to come close for anyone at the rate that the Devils goalies have gotten because it seems that they will just never find anyone that lasts more than a couple of weeks because uh, while that was awesome, those two, you know, those last three games, and mm-hmm. maybe two of the three were more awesome than the other one, but still, overall, the, the arc of that series is great to follow. We all are thrilled about it. And again, as a reminder, the expectations did shift this season when the Devils started winning games, but there's no need to rush this timeline of this team. And that's something that I want to state preemptively before we talk about the results so far against the Hurricanes, who are considered a cup contender from the beginning of the season. Now, Did the narrative shift when they got a bunch of offensive injuries? Yes. Mm -hmm. And when the Devils improved at the deadline? Surely. But that remains that the Devils were meant to be a playoff contender that maybe won around this year. And here we are in that exact position. So before we say, let's, you know, burn it all down from these first two games, I think we should have some perspective and say, incredible accomplishments so far, boys, especially winning that first round from a perspective of, you need to know how to do it, and now they know how it's done. Moving and most, forward, and most importantly, it, it, it's against your hated rivals. Yeah, you know, because unfor- what right or wrong, that's the one team you don't want to lose to. Say what you want about hockey. Say what you want about professional sports. I think soccer may be the only sport that's more. This is more ingrained. 
No, baseball. Baseball is pretty. uh, It depends on the rivalry, I guess. Depends on the rivalry. But the point is, is that when you have a rivalry, yeah, you absolutely positively do not want to lose in that rivalry because you and as an organization, as a fan base, you're going to hear about about it for a while. Case in point, the ESPN broadcast kept hammering the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, few mentions of 2012, huh? And 2006, few mentions. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we're we're going to keep hearing that because Mark Messier continues to get work as a broadcaster for some inexplicable reason. But you know that's the four letters job, not mine. Um, but yeah, this is this is a crowning statement for this whole season. It's not just the biggest and comeback season to season improvement from NHL history. It's not just a franchise record of wins or a franchise record of points. It's not just a thirteen game winning streak. It's not just Jack Hughes getting ninety nine points. It's also you beat our hated rivals in a seven-game series and got their coach fired and put them in a state of confusion. Like and this is this is this is a crown. This is cherry on top of the Sunday here, Dan. This it's, is it's a big extra, win. It's an extra banana in your banana split. It's extra whipped cream for your Sunday. Whatever per, preferred topping, that's that. And so this leads to, you know, feelings of deja vu, not just from the first two games of this series, but from the first, uh, maybe not the first two games, but with the amount of goals the Devils are giving up, we're seeing a lot of statistics from that 2006 series against Carolina, where the Devils in the first game against them gave up uh, or lost the game by more than four goals. And they've done so these first two games against the Hurricanes, who Mm -hmm. have looked incredibly potent you know again from a deja vu perspective when the hurricanes won that stanley cup in 2006 the devils are exactly who they played after the devils beat the rangers in round one so uh, it's history yeah yeah is history on the way to repeating itself who's to say but the devils certainly have their work cut out for them because as bad as game one looked again game two looked worse Mm -hmm. and this time it didn't look worse because of an early you know spiraling discipline problem with power plays giving up opportunities in fact the devil's power plays look so much worse when you consider that they've been outscored by carolina on their own power play for nothing over the course of the season and uh at every game state the devils have been brutalized i i can't overstate that when they lost the rangers in the first two games at least the game flow started to even out by the end of game two it is not close through two in this series no i mean this is a classic example of and you know i don't want to turn this into an argument dan but i have to go there Mm -hmm. this the first two games between carol and i have a post about this coming up on sunday it's called not all o2 deficits are the same yeah uh because the big thing about our hated rivals and we talked about this at length on the show, and we talked about it a bit here, is that the big turnaround for the Devils against our hated rivals was that the first two games, the Devils wanted to go beat some people up. They wanted to bonk some heads. They wanted to show how tough and gritty they could be in this more libertine ref environment. And the refs were not buying it, and our hated rivals didn't give a, didn't give a damn about it, and Chris Kreider feasted on them for it. Um, once the Devils started playing the way they're meant to play, the way they beat the Rangers three times, the way they've won so many games this season – you know, our hated rivals had no legitimate answer for it. And that's, I think, a big reason why Gallant got fired today. Contrast that with Carolina. Rod the Bod, beefy Brindamore, the swole smart man. I, I can't think of another S yeah. at the moment. The swole scholar there. The swole scholar of five-on-five hockey. Carolina is, I'm going to compare the current 
2002-2023 Carolina Hurricanes to the 1995 New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. Even if you sit there and say, oh, well, you know, other teams have more talent and, oh, they're not at 100% and this and that. What makes Carolina such a dang good hockey team is because everybody on that roster knows their role and knows how to play the systems that they design. And Brenda Moore has decreed this for now a couple seasons. They play a very aggressive 1-2-2, so much so that it sometimes looks like a 2-1-2, meaning you have two four-checkers high up in the zone as opposed to one. And they play man-on-man defense. They don't collapse, Dan. They don't They don't sit in it. They don't do what our hated rivals do and try to, like, flood a zone or do what the devils do and, like, try to go strong side. Like, they just stick to their men. And everybody works hard, whether it's Sebastian Ajo, Stefan Nason, Derek Stepan, Jasperi Kotkaniemi, Jalen Chatfield, Shane Gossespierre, who is, I guess, the missing link for their defense. Everybody contributes to this. Everybody. And the Devils have had zero answer for this. It's been scary. It's like a swarm of bees every time the Devils have the puck, and they have paid for it dearly. And again, in in consecutive games now, the the arc was pretty much the same. Carolina jumps out to uh, really, really insurmountable early leads. It's just so tough for the Devils to respond to that because – they can't even string together two passes to get out of their zone. I mean, the first period of game one, they had one shot on goal. At one. Least. So brutal. At least in game two, they were tied leaving the first period. But still, uh, you know. Not, it, just one, it, not just one shot on net, Dan. It took 25 minutes to get the second shot on net. And they were down 3 nothing when it happened. Granted, yeah. it was a goal by Nathan Bastion. But at yeah. that point, it's basically who cares? It know? was just yeah. really bad. And, and the thing is last series where you make the goaltending switch, you could say that the devils did get goalied um, to some extent in games one and two, they, they obviously were not great, but there was some goaling involved. So you make that switch and you see how that might help. And then you can easily pull miles wood to not get penalties, which made the majority of the difference here. You're getting bodied at five on five. There's not a lot of changes you can make. And so through the first two games, first of all, the one change that we're expecting to see and I, I think is it makes sense at this point is Vanacek in for Schmid because Vanacek, while game two was a nightmare for everybody, he did do well in relief in game one. And you have to switch something up. You have to switch up the team's mentality in some way. And the yeah, second Schmid- shift that's happening um, is what you're talking about to beat exactly that one, two, two, or attempt to beat it in a way that. Uh, aims to move the puck up quicker, aims to develop the play faster from the blue line and beyond. And the Devils are finally, finally bringing in Luke Hughes. Now, again, temper your expectations. We saw how he looked in the last two games where he actually played during the season. But it's exciting. Well, at this point, you know, given how badly the Devils got bodied, and I do mean that literally and figuratively bodied. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. you look at the five-on-five five numbers, it's like game one, the Devils were out XG'd by, you know, barely two to over four. It was a lot better in five-on-five five in game two. But again, same same point. You know, the Carolina buried the Devils in goals. And, you know, whatever the Devils were doing is just consolation at that point. You know, Miles Wood, yay, I'm glad you snuck in behind you know, everybody and fired a shot on that. Woo. It's still not shut out. <laughs> still, still, still down 4-1, so who cares? Um, the fact that the BMW line is getting praise is almost like damning with fake praise. That's um, yeah, crazy to me. <laughs> because because the thing is that the, the BMW line also got pinned back a ton, and if it wasn't for Ryan Graves, 
and Kirish me, they would have been scored on a bunch of times. Um, never well, speaking of Graves, he is, yeah, the he one is coming out. out for this. Yeah, he took his debut. Yeah, he took a nasty hit into the board and boards in game two from Jesper Faust. And Graves continue to play a little bit, but then you started noticing you're you see him less and less often, which usually is a sign that he was trying to play through something and it just wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, when you're losing big, it's like don't put out the half injured player, <laughs> you know, don't don't yeah. risk it further damage. Well, it makes but, sense. And he also wasn't playing all that well. To no, begin. he wasn't. No. And, and this is another point that I guess I get frustrated with is, you know, uh, and the result of the first two games against our eighty rivals, you know, the call was we got to get gritty, got to get tough. Even though that was a reason why they were not playing well against the Carolina team, you got to get gritty, got to get tough. No, you have to figure out a different tactic. You have to stop playing into Carolina's system so much. This is very much a Lindy Ruff go figure this out situation as as much as it is an effort situation. I agree. The battle to his credit better. in round yeah. one they did, and they did in round one. They did that to our hated rivals, which is great. Now you have to do it against Rod Brindamore. And the thing is, is that, and, you know, unlike Gallant and unlike our hated rivals, Carolina, I have no reason to believe that they're going to give up on how they play because they played like this against the Devils in the regular season. And yes, mm-hmm. the Devils won a couple, you know, two of those games. They took another two a shootout. But I looked back <clears> at those <throat> games, Dan, and the Devils were, did this largely because Pyotr Kachetkov was awful in, yep. in two of those three games he played against the Devils. Ranta had a bad game against the Devils. And if it wasn't for Mackenzie Blackwood being all Blackwood, you know, maybe the Devils would have won that one outright. Uh, the point, and you also got to see mistakes, some uncharacteristic mistakes by the Canes. Whereas in games one and game two of this playoff series, no Carolina player has looked bad at all. Every yep. single player has been good for the Carolina Hurricanes. Everyone up and down the lineup. So you have the worst case scenario. You have a system the Devils haven't been able to figure out. And Anderson, Frederick Anderson, whom the Devils have not seen all season, is showing up to be just as hot as Schmied was against our hated rivals. And nobody on Carolina is playing all that badly. So who are you going to pick on? Who are you going to punish? The answer seems to be nobody. Throw in the fact that Carolina already has maybe the best defense to the entire NHL. They have one of the best penalty kills in the NHL, so that doesn't help a completely miserable looking power play. They came close in game two. Dougie Hamilton hit a post. They had a brief five on three with some shots. There was some hope. There was some life, but it wasn't enough. And unfortunately with Carolina, uh, based on these first two games, you know, you need, you, it's, you, you can't just be okay. You have to be fantastic. You have to match excellence. And unless Lindy Ruff is going to create some wonderful adjustment, that's going to force Carolina to ease up on the aggression or, or leverage that one, two, two's aggressiveness against them somehow. I want to believe Dan, but I'm not seeing it here. No, it's, it's tough to like, again, where it was tough to envision, but possible in round one, this one feels like a much higher mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm obviously hoping I'm wrong here. We're recording oh, yeah. the night before game three. It, it's pivotal. If you go down three, nothing, it might as well be over. But if you're down two one again, even if you go down three one, we saw the Islanders kind of uh, give them a scare too. And maybe the Islanders were more equipped stylistically to take them on as no, well. No, um, but no. But <laughs> I don't know. It, it just no. it seems to have gone better for them so far. 
No, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm looking at this here, and and the Islanders did a lot of the same thing. I'm sorry, the Hurricanes did a lot of the same thing to the Islanders in five on five. Well, the Islanders have a better uh, goalie. <laughs> they have a better goal. That's pretty much how the Islanders did it. They they basically have a better goaltender. And now, granted, the Islanders did punch back a little bit. I think a little bit better than I'm slightly giving them credit for. But some of those games, Carolina basically just said, just pulled rank effectively and said, look, you're not going to beat this one, two, two. You're not going to beat our four check. You're not going to beat our man to man defense nearly enough times against Antiranta or Frederick Anderson in game six, who was incredible in that game six, by the way. Yep. And Ilya Sorokin, you know, you're talented. I think Sorokin's better than Shesterkin, but not in this playoffs, uh, you know, and, you know, you can crow at me about heaviness and, and the identity line and hard work and blue collar work ethic and, you know, the Islanders are golfing right now. You know, spare me, spare me the uh, the the Rock'em Sock'em Don Cherry style of yeah, just gotta play tougher and play more Canadian like them good old Tarana boys. Like that's that's just not gonna fly against this Carolina team. This is very much like the '95 Devils. Don't be like the opponents who were so salty at the '95 Devils scheming their their team to nothingness. Figure out a better scheme. That's what Scotty Bowman did when he talked with Vyacheslav Fedosov, and that's how he came up with the left wing lock. Um, you know, that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. And, um, we'll see if Jack Adams final is Lindy Ruff, uh, which was inappropriately announced before game two, before Rod Brindamore ate his lunch and before dinner. Before Curtis and his, Lazar uh, and Timo Meyer were on the same line, you mean? You know, at that point, I'm not even mad about that, Dan, because at that point of the game, it's like, just, just whatever, just throw, throw stuff at a wall, see if it sticks. Um. Uh, well, but yeah, it but didn't. the point <laughs> it didn't it didn't stick at all. It was it was awful. That four on four situation at the end of the second period was like a dagger. But never mind that. The point is is that you know y- you got to be able to uh, figure this out because Carolina is not going to give up on it, and they have no reason to. They got 113 points with this way, Dan. They're mm-hmm. you know they're cruising right now in this playoffs against the Devils, and they out. Yeah, they got scared a little bit by the Islanders, but, you know, they put up a softy pass to Lilia Sorokin in game six in overtime, so they're playing still. Clearly, it's working. The regular season says they're the best team remaining, so yeah, uh, it is what it is. So you have to adapt, you have to adjust to them and figure out how you can get something out of this series yet and give the home fans something to cheer for. And now that you mentioned Lindy Ruff's nomination for the Jack Adams Award, worth mentioning the other Devils who are nominated for major NHL awards. Now we all know that Patrice Bergeron is getting the Selkie this year. Um, do yeah. the Bruins having just the, the season from whatever, you know, heavenly place you can imagine minus the whole playoffs part that actually matters. But Nico Heischer, it got his first of many, many, many upcoming Selkie nominations, uh, just playing his game. It's exactly what you would expect from Nico Heischer, except the productivity has now arrived to boot. He spent most of the season healthy for once. Um, and we saw the exact reason the devils drafted him first overall, that Selkie contending defensive forward, Heartbeat, captain of the team, clear leader, respected in the room. And again, that's not why you get nominated for the Selkie, but he seems to embody a lot of the traits that uh, Bergeron has over the years. So congratulations to Nico Heischer for that nomination. And to Jack Hughes for the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. You know, basically it's uh, most skill and least penalties. That's how they do this award presentation. And uh, Hughes was... Close to this category last year, I thought it could have been nominated even last year, but now that he's higher profile, now that he's got the points to match. And he uh, played the whole season. Yeah, the points efficiency, the durability for the whole season. 
now he is nominated for Lady Bing, and that's one he could conceivably win. I don't know if he will this year, but he could. I think, I think he should. Um, I mean, let's be. I actually looked at this briefly for the Selkie finalists. It's Heisher, Bergeron, and Mitch Marner, which is a bit of a surprise that a winger got nominated. Um, based on this pure five on five and the penalty killing numbers, Bergeron is the most defensively effective out of the three by far. Like, yeah. no disrespect to Mister Heisher, but if, if this if this is a regular season award. That's something I want to emphasize first. Mm-hmm. This is a regular season award. It's also voted on by the writers, by the hockey media, the PHWA. So this is very, the Selkie is very much a reputation award. So Bergeron has the reputation and most importantly, he has the best resume of the three finalists. I would argue that a, a Carolina Hurricane should have been on this list, whether that's Sebastian Ajo, whether that's Jordan Stahl. Um, I think Barkov maybe should have gotten some more love for this award as well. Maybe Yanni Gord out of Seattle. But uh, this is Bergeron's. So in the yeah. case of Heischer, it's an honor to be nominated. For the Lady Bing, I think the big deal should get it. Because your other finalists are Braden Point, who had a fight this season, Dan. Hmm. A fight. Hmm. A, a fight. fighting major. Hmm. Like, like, you know, yeah, he only took one minor penalty, which is impressive. But you had a fight. How? How? How are you in this award? I guess maybe everybody forgot about this fight. Um, anyway. Uh, Anja Kopitar is the other guy, and he's, I guess, maybe the favorite in the sense that, you know, he's an older player. You could have argued Kopitar could have been the Selkie, gotten a Selkie finalist uh, spot. Um, He did play a lot, and unlike Hughes and Point, he plays in all situations, including penalty killing time. He goes up against tough tough minutes, um, and he only took two minor penalties, which is really impressive. But Hughes outscored Kopitar by... 25 points he's outscored Braden point and hughes was targeted a lot this season he could have done a lot of retaliatory stuff didn't and jack hughes is very much you know he's starting to get a lot more notice as a as a star in this league so i think hughes may actually win the lady bing and it would be well deserved uh more so than you know mr pugilist Braden point and Anja kopitar's uh reputation <laughs> I'm certainly here for it. But yeah, that that's the Devils that were nominated for the major awards uh, at the NHL Awards, or some major awards at the NHL Awards. So good for them. Great season for the Devils. Hopefully continues on. Um, we do have to say goodbye to the season of the Utica Comets, unfortunately, though. Yeah. As they ran into a tough uh, Toronto Marlies team. They're always tough for some reason. Well, they finished. Well, the Marlies, they... The organization, the Toronto organization, clearly prioritizes and throws a lot of resources at their minor league teams, even the Newfoundland Growlers that knocked out Adirondack. Um, it's well, well stocked, full of talent at that level. So, you know, the Devil, I'm sorry, the Comets, they try to equip themselves quite well, but they've just had too many leaky moments um, and too many situations where they're just giving up bunches of goals that happened in their critical game three because that series was a best of five so Mm -hmm. you can't really lose (laughs) you can't do that so in a one-one series you really have to win and unfortunately for the utica fans they got to witness losses to the marlies the marlies did lead the division so i mean it it may be expected that they moved on worse the comets had to do the play in series with laval but uh credit to the comets holtz Got to play, got to produce. Nemich got to produce. Clark got to produce. Tobias Valen came in from Pelicans. Yep. 
because uh, they're they actually lost in the championship series in the Liga to Tapara in five games. So he was freed up. He was technically on loan from Utica, so he was allowed to come back and play. So he got at least a taste of the AHL. Um, Daniel Misul, who got his ELC since it's the uh, free agency period now in Russia. So he got his ELC. Gritsyuk rejected the contract from Omsk, but mm-hmm. supposedly Scott St. Petersburg's interested in Gritsyuk, and that's a bad sign because Scott can pretty much out-negotiate anybody. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, the Comets season is over. They at least made the playoffs. They need to find some more offense out of their AHL veterans come in the coming year because that's just how it is in the AHL. You just cycle out your veterans veteran players over and over and we'll see how um Masul gets on how Valen gets on on defense next season where Nemitz will probably compete for an NHL job and Luke Hughes um depending on how to how tomorrow goes in game three he may never see Utica Dan I mean yeah Graham Clark also uh potentially coming up next year uh yep. he had a great season good for him yeah he led the team um, in offense and uh again and we all want Holtz to compete for a spot again that's that's kind of the thing about the Devils is that um, yeah they obviously burned a couple draft picks to get Meyer and they don't have their third because of the Marino trade, but they have top talent, pretty much on the cusp of making it in terms of Luke Hughes, Simon Nemitz, Alexander Holtz, and yeah. if you get and if you can find an NHL player out of Graham Clark or Nolan Foot, then all the better. Yep. Uh, so the Devils do have some you know the pool's going to get a little thinner just because it is and those players are the best players are now with the Devils and you stockpile these prospects also to make big moves like the Timo Meyer move um and you make the best of it so credit to you know management for at least icing a Comets team that would be competitive and did play in the playoffs and at least did play more than just a couple games you know mm-hmm. they beat Laval in the best of three they they were so close to winning that game one, but they really did blow that one uh, to the Marlies. They did win game two. You would have, if game three would have gone differently, I th- I'd i like to think the Comets, we're talking about the Comets moving on, or at the very least playing a winner go home game five in Toronto right now. Right. right. Well, either way, uh, we'll look forward to seeing what they have for next year and seeing which Comets took the most from their playoff experience there and bring it to New Jersey as the Devils continue to make deep playoff runs, fingers crossed. But we'll look forward to the next set of games against the Hurricanes, where the Devils can hopefully turn their fortunes around. Um, After a uh, happy birthday, Martin Brodeur and Jonas Siegenthaler, what was that, yesterday? Um, Or maybe even two days. No, I think it was yesterday. Anything else to add for this episode, John? Well, the biggest thing is I really want to emphasize that, you know, as much as the romantics of the people who matter, the older school hockey fans and all that, got to get with the times. Caroline is showing you how how a system can beat a team, and um, it's on the Devils to figure out what that system is. And I'd like to think if Carolina and, you know, does move on and they take on Florida, who's also up to nothing in their series, also pretty much scheming out Toronto. Um. I think you're going to start to see a sea change and you're going to see a lot more teams play that aggressive four check like Carolina does. And if the devils and other teams don't learn how to deal with it, it's going to be a bit of a problem than more than, than just Carolina and maybe Florida games, Dan. Mm -hmm. So beware you might, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to just see this for a couple more games and then be done with it. It might stick around a little longer depending on how their playoff fortunes go. Well, fair enough. It's been my nightmare so far, certainly. But uh, hopefully it's going to end soon. So thank you all for listening, as always. 
Let's go Devils and let's turn the fortunes of this series around.